now we're going to get into God's Word. And uh, James has been talking to us about prayer. We're going to learn how to pray together um, this morning. First, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have given us the opportunity and the invitation and the command to come boldly in to your presence with all of our burdens. I think of those, Lord, who are carrying around boulders that are too heavy for them to hold up another day. I think of those, Lord, who are weighed down by the anxieties of this life. And I just hear your voice beckoning them to bring it to you, to drop it, to watch the dust fly up into the air and then to walk away and to have the peace that transcends understanding. Lord, we know you give us instruction on prayer, but you also give us living, breathing examples. So thank you as we look into the life of Elijah today. We pray that his encouraging story would prompt us to pray more and to pray better. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab your Bibles and open up to the book of James chapter 5 and the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. I've got to open at two places this morning. Yeah, you've got to open at two places. All right, we're going to be in the book of James to begin, then we're going to flip back to the book of 1 Kings. So get both of those places open, um, and I'm going to read to you where we've already been in James. As we close out the, uh, the chapter 5, he said this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We stopped there last week. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then he gives us an example. He points to Elijah. It says in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently. And then he goes on to tell us a story. Hey, do you want to grow in your prayer life? Would you give yourself an A++ for prayer? Would you say your prayer life is done and you don't need any other help with it? I doubt it. If you're like me, you feel like God has to teach you more and more about prayer every year. Just like whack-a-mole. Once you pray for one thing, another one comes up. Bam! Pray, pray, pray. So you're always growing in your prayer life. God's showing us what Elijah did and how he prayed to show us what a vibrant, effective prayer life can really look like. All right? So if you want your prayers to be answered, if you want God to hear you, pray like Elijah. And really, I'm just going to give you three reinforcing points that go along with this one command. Pray like Elijah. All right? So write this down. Number one, because God answers ordinary people. Pray like Elijah, because God answers ordinary people. It says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was was ordinary. He was an amazing man of God, but he was just like you and me. In order to get a grasp of just how awesome Elijah's story was, I want you to understand the context here. Um, In order to get the context, you need to know where Elijah comes up in the scripture. So, You know, before I was a pastor, I was a teacher, and I'm going to give you a pop quiz right now. All right, so number your paper, one to four, one to four, and uh, I'm going to to list four names of Bible people, and you have to put them in order in which they appeared in the Bible. So earliest to latest. Here are the four names. Elijah, 
Daniel, Samson, David. Put them in order. Elijah, Daniel, Samson, David. One to four. Put them in order. Earliest to latest. No cheating. If I see you looking at your neighbor's paper, I will rip it up in front of everyone. We'll come down there and rip up your bulletin and shame you publicly. All right, did you write them down? Elijah, Daniel, Samson, David. Put them in order from earliest to latest that they appear in the Bible. All right, here we go. Which of those four came first? Samson. Samson. Very good. Samson came first. He was a judge. There was an Israel, but there weren't any kings yet. All right, and everybody did as as what was right in their own eyes. Who came after Samson? David. Now they had kings. Good. They had kings. There was government. Uh, Who came after David? Yep, Elijah came next. So God sent the prophets to confront the kings when they weren't keeping the covenant. Then who came last? Daniel. When the the nation was booted out of the promised land, you have the exiles like Daniel um, who are trying to bring the nation back to repentance. Knowing that, you understand that we've already been through a lot of Old Testament history. There is an Israel. Moses is done. You know, I mean... Noah's way back there. There is an Israel. There have been some kings, and they're starting to mess up. That's when Elijah comes on the scene. Elijah was a prophet. The prophets were a branch of government. There were prophets, priests, kings. Uh, This whole system got the world ready for Christ to come. Jesus was the king of kings. He was our high priest, and he is the prophet Moses spoke of. So Jesus fulfills all three of these branches. But the prophets were like God's prosecuting attorneys. They would show up to the kings and say, you're not living up to the Mosaic Covenant, so get in line or judgment's coming. And that's what Elijah was. Elijah was a prophet. What a great honor. And God appointed him around 850 B.C. is when he lived, 850 B.C. God appointed him to confront wicked King Ahab and his evil wife, Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah was probably best known for challenging 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah to a duel to the death on top of Mount Carmel, all right? Your God answers or my God answers, and whoever's God doesn't answer dies. 850 verses 1, and Elijah won, and all 850 of those false prophets were put to death. Elijah is also known... Because in the New Testament, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the pillars of you know, his original disciples, up on a mountain for a men's retreat. How sweet is that? Just me, James, John, Peter, Jesus, just we're all together. And then Jesus grabbed two, just two people from the Old Testament, and suddenly they appeared, and it was Moses and Elijah. Wow. Wow. That's a pretty special class of people to be in. Uh, Elijah was an amazing prophet who had an awesome life. He was the first person to raise the dead. It had never been done before. Nobody even thought to ask. Elijah's the first one to do it. And it only happened twice in the Old Testament with someone doing it. Um, He raised the dead. He met with Jesus in the New Testament. He, He prevailed over 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel. Are you amazed at Elijah? You don't sound amazed yet. Are you amazed at Elijah? You know what? Don't be. (laughs) See, I set you up for that. James is like, he's just a man. Just a man. It says says in verse 17, he was a man with a nature like ours. 
That's shocking. The nature like ours phrase in the Greek literally is like of, of similar suffering, of, of similar emotions. He's got the same insides as you and me. Same suffering, same endurance, same grief. He's 100% human, 0% God. He needed water. He needed food. He was afraid of dying. He grew depressed and doubtful and moody. He ran away, hid in a cave. He was just like you and me. He was confused. He was upset. We see here that God allows even his prophets to go through the fire. And this series is called Faith in the Fire. How will God get you ready to go through a trial? He'll send someone through it and he'll make you watch how they did it. What you see in the lives of the prophets is when they went through the fire, they were praying. They were praying. And God wants you to see what it means to pray when you're going through the trial. So he shows you, so he shows you Elijah. And boy, did God let them go through trouble. Elijah had enemies in life. Do you have any enemies right now? Do you have any enemies right now? People who seem to exist to make you miserable. A name or two or three. And, and boy, they're making your Christianity hard. I mean, the rest of the day, it's fine. But when that person comes up, there's just temptation. They're making it so hard for you to live out what enemies, right? Parents or kids, you can't include parents on that list, all right? <laughs> My mom is so mean. No, I don't want to hear it. Do you have enemies? Because Elijah had enemies. The king and the queen. Ahab and Jezebel were out to get him. What does that feel like? The king, we learn, had issued a international manhunt, a warrant for his arrest. When he disappeared for a few years, one of the servants said, there's not a nation known where the king hasn't sent someone looking for you. So like America's most, or Israel's most wanted back then, every episode was about Elijah. Israel's most wanted. Israel's most wanted. Here he is again. Elijah, find him. They were looking for him because they blamed him for the trouble in the nation. What would that be like if the king and queen were after? What would that be like if Michelle Obama got the FBI director and said, I want his head on a plate? And it was you. Bad day coming. Yeah, that was Elijah. And this is what God allowed his prophets to go through. He was an ordinary person in a broken world with real problems just like you. God wants you to know that he will hear you when you pray. Never feel like God won't hear you. Oh, I know he'll listen to Elijah because he was Elijah, but he won't listen to me. No, you don't get it. Elijah was normal, like you and me. He did great things because God heard his prayers. So God will hear your prayers. Never think God will answer other people, but he just won't answer me. See, maybe you were raised to think that God won't listen to you or won't answer you, and so you pray teeny-weeny, little, tiny, small, wimpy, pathetic prayers. And the size of your prayers is the size of your God. And if you're praying small prayers, it's because you're worshiping a small God. That's convicting. Maybe like me, you were raised in a tradition where you felt like your prayers maybe wouldn't get answered, but if you could get someone else to pray for you in the clergy, or even saints who have gone before you, you can get all of this like, like an entourage to go and pray for you, then God will hear you. 
rubbish. God will hear you if you pray to him. God will hear you if you come into his presence. In John 14, 12, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That sounds like a blank check. And the Bible scholar in me wants to tell you all of the things that doesn't mean, but I'm not going to, because Jesus said it that way, and I'm going to let it sound like he's saying anything, because that is the boldness you should bring with you into his presence. Ask me anything. Bring your burdens. You come to me with your problems. He wants it to feel that boundless, and you should come. Stop crossing things off of the list of things you'll ask God. Well, I don't want to ask him for that. He probably won't do that. No, I'm going to, no, 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 no. I'll ask him to bless my food. Wow. What great faith you have. God answers ordinary people. You go into his presence. All right, so if you want to pray like Elijah, be a normal human, check, and go and talk to God, check. But, number two, write this down. God responds to fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. It says here in James 5, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and earth bore its fruit. But it says here he prayed fervently. Uh, God responds to fervent prayer. Now, in the Greek here, most of the scholars Um, understand this as being fervent, but literally it reads, he prayed with prayer. He prayed with prayer. So fervent is kind of an interpretation, but it seems like we do that too in the English language. We repeat the same word for emphasis. Like, like, do you like like her? Why can't you just say it once? Well, because if you say it twice, it emphasizes, I like like her, right? Or we'll say like the phrase as an added bonus. Well, a bonus is additional. Why do you say added bonus? Just say a bonus. Well, we say it twice for effect, okay? So pretty much it's like saying he pray-prayed. He pray-prayed. All right? And we kind of understand that, the language. God responds to fervent prayer, and Elijah prayed. He prayed. For what? For a lot of things. Now we're going to turn back to 1 Kings 17. And we're not going to come back to James, so you can go to 1 Kings 17, and we're going to camp there. There's many things that Elijah prayed for fervently, but James wants us to remember when Elijah prayed about the famine. Uh, Elijah wanted the rain to stop, and this was part of the covenant curse. So as, as I tell you about why this happened, just understand, God told the Israelites, if you fail to keep the Mosaic covenant, there will be war, uh, there will be famine, there will be disease, there will be drought. So it's not a mystery why this happened. Ahab had had over 800 false prophets that he paid for with government money. Okay? It's a no-brainer. He's provoking God to action. And one of the things God did was he brought drought. He stopped the rain. But the way God accomplished this was through his prophet Elijah. So it says in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, 
As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. This is the famous story of Elijah running and ravens bringing him food morning and night. Well, it happened because God said, go to the king, tell him the rain's going to be shut off for years, and then run for the hills. And he did. Famine um, was terrible. Drought was awful. And God used his prophet to pray that the rain would stop to confront the evils of his day. God turned off the rain. Uh, I imagine what it would be like if Elijah barged into the weather center of Channel 7. Get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way! Standing in front of the map. No rain for three years. And he was right! How do you predict the weather for a week? They're always wrong. For three and a half years, Elijah's always right. No rain, no dew. It's horrible. And he did it. Have you ever had your water shut off? I won't make you put your hand up, but maybe you didn't pay the bill. Maybe they were working on the line. A couple weeks ago, they were working on the water and in our neighborhood, the water was shut off. They didn't even tell us. So we went to the faucet, flipped it up, a few drips come out, and we're like, oh, the water, water shut off. And then what do you do? Five minutes later, you like try and turn the sink on, right? Oh, the oh, water's shut off. And five minutes later, you're out back and you go to water the garden, right? Oh, no. I keep forgetting the water, water shut off. Because it's always on. So you take it for granted. So what if the water was shut off for three and a half years in the whole country? No rain. What power? is on display here. What a punishment God gives to this wicked king. Famines are awful. In 2010 to 2012, there was a famine in Somalia. It's a two-year famine. And 260,000 people died, according to a UN report. Two-year famine, 260,000 dead. Half under the age of five. It's horrifying. Two-year famine. Israel's three and a half. This was a severe punishment on God's people. You might ask, how can God do that? He told them in advance that this was a consequence. And what was Israel doing? They had a spiritual problem. They were worshiping Baal, okay? And Baal is the rain god. So, we'll worship the one true God, but we like the rain, more crops, more food, more money, so we'll also keep Him happy. They're worshiping Baal too. And what does God do to shame them and show them their foolishness? He turns off the rain, which is Baal's specialty. And He shows them, you want rain? You come to me. What a display of power. But He did it through a prophet. Elijah fervently prayed for the rain to shut off, and God said yes. Now, there are other prayer requests that Elijah sent up to the Lord. He asked for fire to fall on the top of Mount Carmel to consume the false prophets who were leading the nation astray. So there they were, 850 against one, and Elijah challenged them to a prayer off. It's what it was. You pray to your God, I'll pray to my God. Who's ever got answers is the one true God. And all the Israelites were like, we got to see this. 
And this is where the priests of Baal all morning long pierced themselves and cried out and chanted. And Elijah's just watching, just watching. Noon comes, afternoon comes, nothing, no rain. Baal's not doing anything, so Elijah starts mocking them. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's distracted or sleeping. Where's your God? Where's your God? He's confronting the lie that the Israelites are believing and showing that the God that the Baals are worshiping is no God at all. Then, after they fail, Elijah sets the altar back up and he calls fire down from heaven. And fiery lightning, whatever it was, comes down and and explodes the altar. I mean, it consumes the whole thing. And the people scream and fall on their faces and beg not to be put to death because the one true God has answered. But Elijah asked for it. He asked for fire to fall, and it did. What a request. Elijah asked that God would raise the dead. There was a still dead boy right in front of him. And he said, bring him back. God had never said yes to that prayer, and God answered him. He raised the dead. But Elijah was just like you and me. He once prayed at his lowest point that he might die. How many of you went to Sunday school growing up and they would take prayer requests and you put them up on the chalkboard or the dry erase board? Did you ever do that? Prayer requests, anyone? Imagine putting your hand up. I'd like to die. Thank you. (laughs) All right, brother over there wants to die. Wish you had left that one unspoken, but we're going to put it up on the board. (laughs) Elijah asked to die. I want to die. God didn't answer that prayer. In fact, it's really funny if you think about how his life ended. Chariots of fire came down, and he was taken up in a whirlwind. He's one of the only two people in the Old Testament who didn't experience a natural death, him and Enoch. So he asked to die. And John Stott, uh, a scholar, a pastor, really laughs about that. And uh, he pointed out that the man who asked to die right away never died at all. No! Taken up. Elijah also... After Ahab died, his evil son Ahaziah took the throne, and he was no better. And so Ahaziah wanted to capture Elijah and bring him to the palace. So he sent a hundred soldiers to, to, to capture Elijah. Imagine that. hundred navy seals coming up to your front door. And Elijah prayed, Lord, they're coming to get me. They're gonna, you need to, I pray for fire to fall from heaven and consume them. hundred of them dead, smoldering in ashes in front of him. hundred soldiers gone. He prayed, and God answered him in power. You have to understand that God responds to fervent prayer. He does unbelievable things that can't be explained naturally. Reflecting on how Elijah's prayer controlled the weather for over three years, John Stott wrote this, Prayer operates even in the apparently fixed laws of the natural order. It can master the forces of the heavens. Prayer is also the key to earthly blessing and fruitfulness. God the Creator orders the life of the world in the light of the prayers of His people. That's true. Prayer changes your life. God has said, you have not because you ask not. In the Old Testament, it says, how great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. He has many things He will do only when you pray. It's a list I'm not looking forward to seeing when I get to heaven. The things God would have done if I had only asked. God responds to fervent prayer. Now, I want you to have a balanced view of prayer. So we're really, uh, we're talking about epic, 
weather-changing, dead-raising prayers here, but I want you to understand how prayer works. So here's a balanced view of prayer. I call these the prayer gears that we pulled out of Jesus' teaching a few years ago uh, when we looked at it. You need all these gears in your prayer life for it to be functional. The first one is boldness. Why are you even praying for puny, pathetic, small little things that are already going to happen on their own or are so vague in general you won't even know if they are ever happening around you? You have to pray boldly for the mountain to fly through the sky into the sea. Then you have to pray confidently. How can Jesus say, whatever you ask for in prayer, I will give you? Because that's not a blank check promise that you'll get everything. That is an attitude you're supposed to bring with you into his presence. So between when you ask and when he answers, you should, your, your waiting should be marked by confidence. All right. Some people pray boldly, Lord, fix this. Fix it now! And then they have no confidence. But I know you probably won't. You're so busy. And you haven't done things in the, in the past. So I'll just mope around even though I just asked you to do a really big thing. You don't understand how you're supposed to wait. You're supposed to assume you have a yes until you hear otherwise. All right? That should be our attitude. You should speak confidently about your good heavenly father until you hear he says no. But he will say no which is why you have to pray humbly. Uh, Jesus even prayed, not my will, but yours be done. All right? Here's the problem. The problem is when some of these gears start falling out. So some people will pray confidently and humbly, but not boldly. Oh, Lord, just do well, whatever you want. I, I trust you will. You're going to do it. What, whatever you're going to do, just do it. Where's the boldness? You're confident. You're humble. You're not bold. And so your prayer life is deficient. You see that? Some people get the boldness, they get the confidence, but they don't have the humility. You will do this. I believe it will be the way that it... Where's the humility? And then when God says no, you're crushed. But God says no a lot. You have to be bold. You have to be confident. You have to be humble. You also have to be loving. You can't just pray for you. If all God's hearing is you praying for you, there's a love, your love gear is falling out. Clunk. Or if your relationships are in total disarray and you keep asking God for stuff, fix that first. Pick the love up and put it back in. Then I'll get moving. And then persistence is the gear at the end that just keeps turning. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Give him no rest until he dot, dot, dot. If you have all those gears in your prayer life, you will have a long list of answers to your prayer. If any one of them has fallen out, you've got to pick it back up and throw it right back in there to have a balanced prayer life. That'll help you improve your prayer life. Now, in the life of Elijah, we're focusing on boldness, uh, his confidence, and his persistence. All right, So we're featuring a few, but I don't want you to think that's all there is to it. Another way you can look at improving your prayer life practically is uh, if you're a coach, you've probably been trained on how to get the most out of your athletes, okay? And one of the ways that you can improve their performance is uh, called the FIT acronym, F-I-T. F stands for frequency, meaning they train more frequently. I stands for intensity, which means you get them to train more intensely. T stands for time, which means they're training for a longer period of time. That'll help you improve your prayer life. Should you be praying more frequently? Okay, I'm going to pray five days a week this week. All right, that's one way to get it going. But maybe the intensity could be, could be cranked up. You know what? I'm going to pray, but I'm just going to bear my soul before the Lord. I'm at my emotion and the, 
how specific I am. It's just the quality of my prayer life is going to be improved. You can do that. Uh, Time is another way. You can say, you know what? I'm going to devote a whole hour to prayer Thursday morning. Okay, or I'm going to fast. I'm going to give a whole day of prayer to the Lord. That's time. I'm praying for a longer period of time. All right, so remember that fit, and you can increase your frequency, your intensity, or the time that you spend in prayer. So those are some practical ways you can get your prayer life moving forward. But God responds to fervent prayer. Elijah prayed that the rain would stop. God answered that prayer every day for three and a half years. What wonderful power. God has put in prayer. Pray like Elijah, number one, because God answers ordinary people. Number two, because God responds to fervent prayer. Number three, write this down, because God will answer in power with wonders. If you pray, if you pray, God will respond if you're fervent, if you're consistent, if you're loving, and he will answer you with wonders. So skip ahead to 1 Kings 18, verse 1, or 41, verse 41. And as you pass through, what you'll see in the headlines, we're passing through Elijah running, hiding just outside of Israel, near Israel on the east side of the Jordan, being fed by ravens. Then the brook dries up. Okay. So now he's got no water. So then God sends him up north out of Israel, and he's now with a widow who's in Baal's home home country. And they've got no rain either. And it's there in Baal's home country that Elijah meets with this widow, and, and she's about to die. She's got her last meal planned. Her son's there too. She's got like one meal left. Elijah shows up and says, feed me first. So how can I do that? I'm going to die. Trust me. I'm with the one true God. Feed me and you'll live. So she does. She gives Elijah her last meal and her son's last meal. And then God gives her oil and flour that persists through the famine. In her theology, they believe that Baal died during famine and came back to life to bring rain. Her God was dead. So God was doing something not just physical, he was doing something theological. He was showing her that even in the famine, Elijah's God was alive and he could bring life. See? So her son died and Elijah raised him up. And and her faith changed from a false God to the true God. So she was spiritually given new life. Her son was physically given new life. This all happened outside of Israel while the famine was in place. So Elijah went up there, and after uh, three and a half years, finally God said, go back and confront the king. That happened. The showdown on Mount Carmel with the false prophets just happened. The blood of the false prophets was just spilled on the ground. Elijah then walks up to the top of the mountain, and this is where we pick up on the story. Chapter 18, verse 1. It says after, or verse 41, it says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. Sound you haven't heard in years. So Ahab went up to eat, to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, put his face between his knees. Look at his posture. When's the last time you got down on your knees? face to the floor in front of God Almighty. Verse 43, And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. He went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. Go check. Servant walks all the way up, looks over to the sea, sees nothing, comes back down. Nothing. Look again. Nothing. Nothing. Look again. Nothing. Don't see anything. Keep going. Nothing. 
Finally, seven times, finally he sees something. What persistence, what persistence Elijah showed. He knows God's going to answer him. And so he kneels down and he prays until God responds. Seven times. And at the seventh time, verse 44 says, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising up from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. Get in your car and drive. In a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. Rain turned on, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Wow, what power! No rain! Then a man gets down on his knees in front of the Lord, and a great rain comes on the whole land. That's the power of your prayers. Don't hear that and be like, oh, I wish I could be like him. Oh, wow, God really used to do some awesome things back then. No! That's the power of your prayer. He brought the rain after years. We learn here that God is in control, and he answers prayer in power. We learn that God is in total control of the duration of your trial. God said three and a half years, three and a half years it was over. God is in control of the duration of your trial. Maybe he says year, maybe he says five years, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 20, maybe it's until Christ returns. Every trial in this life has an expiration date stamped on it. I hope you're excited to hear that. Every trial God has sent into your life will be over soon, he says. Most of them will be over in this life. He is in control of the duration. He's also in control of the intensity He decides how intense the trial is. We see here he's also in control of your endurance. We see that in Elijah's life because God sustained him through the ravens feeding him, through the widow feeding him. God appointed his provision through the trial. And God will sustain you in the trial. The end of this story is pretty amazing. In verse 46, Ahab just got on his chariot. He's about to ride 17 miles to Jezreel. And it says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. 17-mile run. And, and Elijah ran out ahead of the chariot. That's astonishing. I'm training for a marathon, my first marathon ever. I hope you're praying for me, because I need it. And, and I'm in the tail end of a marathon training program, and I just ran 17 miles for the first time last week. And I highly doubt Elijah is on the Hal Higdon training program for marathons. He's not like, well, i got to put in my 17-miler today. He ran 17 miles faster than a chariot. They were malnourished because of the famine. God gave him endurance, unexplainable endurance. Blows you away. God will answer you in power with wonders. But you have to understand what's most important to God. What's most important to God isn't that Elijah had a personal best time running 17 miles. All right, God... Really, when it comes to rain, not that big of a deal. He can make it rain anytime he wants. All right? What's most important to God is the truth about his nature. That's the whole point of these prayers. And what was going on? Why would God keep the rain back three years? Well, it's because they were bowing down to this false God. God was capturing the hearts of his people back again. He was restoring Israel to true faith through a trial. That's why James brings this up. He points to Elijah and this trial, this no rain rain, because Elijah was restoring the hearts of the people to God. 
And when you're sick, when you're going through a trial, God is in a special way restoring your heart to him. He's stripping you of everything that you put your hope in, all right? Turns out money couldn't make you happy. Turns out your family won't always be there for you. Turns out that, that stuff doesn't fill your heart with joy. All right? Turns out your health isn't a guarantee. He takes away everything you thought you could stand on in this life. And all that you have left is Him. And He restores your faith back in Him and Him alone. That's the point. That's what it's all about. And you have to see the spiritual wonder of this trial. A whole country turned back to God because of the rain. They were no longer leaning on another God to provide for their needs. James knows that God has the same spiritual goal in mind for you. So as you go through the trial, don't pray for the weather. Don't, I'm going to ask for God to raise the dead. No, you don't get it, you know. Look at the spiritual reality that was happening. Pray for spiritually wonderful things to happen in you and around you. Lord, use this trial to restore my faith in your power to provide for me. Lord, use this trial in this person's life to restore their faith in how awesome you are. These are the prayers that God wants to answer. Yes, pray for your physical needs. Yes, pray for your physical sickness, for your, for your wellness. Pray for all of that. But pray for spiritually unbelievable things to happen in your heart and all around you in the lives of others. Let me ask you this. What are you praying now that only God can accomplish? If I saw your prayer list, would my eyebrows even twitch? Would they go up? Hmm. Would anything on there be impossible with man? Little prayers, little faith. Let me ask you this. Who are you praying for? Are you praying for impossible people? No chance you see of God getting to that person? Are you praying? Are you praying impossible prayers? Are you praying for impossible people? God will answer in power with wonders. God answers ordinary people, and he will respond to your fervent prayer. But you have to ask. So let's close right now with a time of prayer by going into the Lord's presence together.